Well, good morning. May 12th, 1990 was the day that my wife, Nancy, and I got married. It'll be 25 years this coming May. It's hard to believe it's gone by very quickly. seems like it was just yesterday. And I uh, have many memories of that day, as uh, you can imagine. I remember that it was a beautiful day in Minnesota, 70s, in the 70s. It was a bright blue sky. The trees were, were leafing out and budding flowers. It was just incredible. It also happened to be uh, the fishing opener in the state which meant that there were fewer men than we anticipated uh, during the ceremony. A lot of, they all showed up for dinner that night, but, uh, but it was fishing opener, and uh, we just didn't plan very well with that. Um, I remember that uh, Nancy looked fantastic, although that morning she wasn't feeling well, and so she actually went to the doctor and got some, some drugs to get her through the ceremony. So I don't know what that says about me uh, and, uh, and our, our marriage, but uh, it's been great. Um, our family and friends were there and, um, I do remember there was something interesting happened. Um, we met in Indiana. I was a youth pastor at the church in Indiana. Nancy was with campus crusade staff at Purdue university and we met at church and uh, the pastor that I was serving with was her pastor as well. And so we asked him to come to Minnesota to do the wedding. Now, um, usually as a pastor, you can do weddings in multiple states and your paperwork and the state that you minister in is good for everywhere else. But apparently at that time, anyway, it, it wasn't good. Uh, John's uh, minister license was not transferable to Minnesota. We did not discover this until about 30 minutes before the ceremony. And so we're like, OK, what are we going to do here? Uh, you know, do we fake our way through it and, and go to a justice of the peace afterwards? What do we do here? And uh, and uh, it just so happened that my dad's best man from years ago, and he was you know, uh, is a minister in, in Minnesota. He was at the wedding. And so we said, Let's sneak into the pastor's study. We got married and then we walked down the aisle. So we were it was kind of it was kind of a reverse. I, I actually brought up to Nancy, you know, we should just take off. Let's just elope. The gifts are all there. We can just throw them in and just get out of here. But uh, she didn't she didn't go for it. I don't think her, her parents would have been very happy about that. But it was it was a wonderful day, uh, just a great day. Uh, something else I remember is that John, the pastor who did the ceremony, he um, he used this passage, First Corinthians 13, uh, as kind of the, the core <laughs> of his wedding message. And I know it's a passage that has been done so much at, at, at weddings, uh, and we've heard it so many times that sometimes really familiar passages can begin to lose their you know impact or relevance for us. Uh, we hear it, but it doesn't sink in like it maybe did the first few times. Uh, but for me, it's always been very fresh because uh, because it was associated with my wedding day. And, and John did such a great job of applying it to 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 our marriage and 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 how we could use it moving forward. Today, we are concluding our sermon series on marriage. We've had two previous weeks. This is the third one. And of all the passages of all the passages and themes, this is probably the most broadly applicable uh, and the things I'll be talking about today out of 1 Corinthians 13 about love and what that looks like and how it's played out in our lives, it's applicable not just for those who are married, but also to anybody really who's in a relationship. So I hope that you'll, you'll stick with me, even if you, maybe you're not in a situation where you are, are married. Now, <laughs> as it's called the love chapter, um, you know, and, and scripture sometimes isn't always easy to live out. And this passage is no different. Not everybody is always easy to love, right? And we're not always easy to love. 
But we're told throughout the scriptures that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And we are to love each other, love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So, so how do we do that? Um, how do we get along with other people? How do we nurture relationships, especially our marriages, when tempers rise and patience gets thin, when communication breaks down and misunderstandings happen? How do we love as Paul writes that we are to love? Well, let's begin with the first three verses. But before Paul begins there, he says at the end of chapter 12, now I will show you the most excellent way. What is the most excellent way? What's he talking about? What's come before this? Well, in chapter 12, Paul is talking to this church in Corinth. It's, he planted this church. He knows the people. There's many situations going on in this church. This, but there's one situation that he addresses in chapter 12. It's a disagreement about spiritual gifts. Okay? Uh, spiritual gifts, the Bible teaches that when we become a believer, along with the natural talents and abilities we have, we are given a spirit, spiritual gifts. It could be the gifts of mercy or teaching or compassion, uh, all sorts of things, helps, I mean, on and on and on, tongues, different things that were given as spiritual gifts. And what was going on in the church in Corinth uh, where people were saying, my gift is more important in the life of the church, so therefore I'm more important. And so there was disagreement about this. People were comparing each other to each, comparing themselves to each other. And there's a lot of division that was potentially starting to happen in the church. So Paul writes to them and in chapter 12 says, all the spiritual gifts are important. All are necessary in the church. Nobody's better or worse than anybody else in the body of Christ. And then he says, now I will show you the most excellent way. Basically, Paul is saying, I want to show you the best way to take care of virtually every situation, every relationship, and that is the way of love. And then he goes on to point out that love is more important than five other things that we as Christians consider very important. In verse one, he says that love is more important than spiritual gifts. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, back in the first century, when Paul would have written this letter to the Corinthians, um, when people would go to worship at a pagan temple, most of them had this big gong or, or symbol hanging at the entrance, the door into the temple. And so when they would come to worship their pagan gods, they would hit this gong or symbol to awaken the pagan gods so they would listen to their prayers. So Paul is saying that even if he were so blessed that he could speak with the greatest of eloquence in every language, but he didn't have love, love, then his life would be as pointless and as useless as this ridiculous act of pounding on a gong to awaken a non-existent God. He says love is more important than any spiritual gift. In verse 2, Paul says that love is more important than knowledge. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. So if we know everything there is to know in the world, we know everything about God, we know everything about how science works or philosophy or theology or any, every other kind of ology. If we know all these things, he says, but we have no love, he says, then we're nothing. And it's always amazed me that when people look at society and, and they kind of throw their hands up and say, what's going on with us? What's, why are we so mean to each other? Why do we kill or abuse? Or why do why, why all these things exist in our world? 
that often what you'll hear is, well, we need more education. We need to get everybody educated and then and then we won't have these problems anymore. And education is very important, extremely important. We are to grow in our knowledge of the world and people and how things work. And so we can dialogue and work to solutions to our problems. But at the core, at the very base, I don't believe education is the answer. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I don't think we need more knowledge nearly as much as we need more love in our world, in our relationships. We need a whole lot more love so that the hearts of people can change before society will ever change. Thirdly, Paul says that love is more important than faith. Can you believe that? Now, he doesn't say that faith is not important. It's very important. The scripture is very clear on that. Jesus talks about the need for faith. The Old Testament talks about faith. Um, uh, the, The Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But Paul says, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. We can believe all the right things and understand all the right things. But if it's not associated with love, if it's not generated by love for God and other people, Paul says, it's really not very useful. Jesus taught us the importance of of, of faith and love being wedded together in the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember the story in Luke 10? Uh, There's a man who's walking on the road. He's robbed. He's beaten. He's left for dead. And three people are in the story. A priest comes along, a very religious man, certainly had faith. He walks on by. A Levite comes along, also a man who has certainly had faith. He walks on by. The one who stops is the one in the story that you would think, well, he probably doesn't have as much faith. A Samaritan. And he stops and helps the man. Jesus says, this is the man who, who was the neighbor. This is the man who showed his faith by showing love. Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Fourthly, love is more important than generosity, Paul says. If I give all I possess to the poor, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Now notice he doesn't say if I give 10%, if I tithe. He says if I give everything for our context, if I empty my retirement accounts, if I sell my house, if I sell everything I have, I cash in my annuities, I sell my business, and I give it all to the poor, but I don't have love. I'm nothing. Paul is getting at motive here. I mean, he's saying, why are you generous? Does it come from a place of love? Or do you give because the preacher preaches a sermon on stewardship? Or do you give because you feel guilty if you don't? Or do you give because if you think if you do, you'll get more? Or if you don't, God will be upset with you. Do you give to impress other people? If the only reason that you or I give is to receive or to benefit ourselves, then love is absent and giving is, is empty. It's, it's pointless. The motive for giving, Paul says, should be love. Love for God and love for other people. And then Paul says that love is more important than, than accomplishments and even great sacrifice. He says, if I surrender my body to the flames that have not love, I gain nothing. Paul's talking about martyrdom here. He's talking about somebody being so faithful and so committed to God 
that they end up dying because of their faith. Now, most of us aren't going to be forced to have make that choice. So what would it look like for us if we're talking about sacrifices and, and accomplishments? Maybe to paraphrase, we could say, if you go to church every time the doors are open, if you read your Bible, if you pray, if you do all the things a Christian person ought to do, but if there is no love behind it all, then it's nothing in God's sight. So Paul is saying that love is more important than spiritual gifts, knowledge, faith, generosity, sacrifices and accomplishments for the kingdom of God. He's not saying those things aren't important. They are very important. But he's saying love needs to be behind all of them, motivating and, and, and empowering us to do those things. So since love is so important, practically speaking, what does it look like in the life of, of a husband and a wife or any sort of relationship that you might be involved in? Well, Paul is nothing if not practical. And so in verses four through eight, we see what love looks like. And we find here that while love can be a powerful feeling or emotion, love is first and foremost a choice and an action. Over all these virtues, Paul says in Colossians three, put on love, which binds them all together. It's the picture of love pulling everything together, making it work. The thing that 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 uh, is, is the glue in our lives. He says, put it on love. Now, Paul would not ask us to to put on something that we can't put on. He wouldn't ask us to do something that we can't control. Things that may be like a feeling. And so love is not only a choice, it's a matter of our conduct and our actions. First John 3.18 says, let us not love with words or tongue only, but with actions and in truth. We are to be more than talk. We are to be action. A guy was telling his girlfriend, always telling his girlfriend to kind of let her know how much he loved her. He said, honey, I would, I would die for you. And she said, oh, you're always telling me that, but you never do it. <laughs> First and foremost, love, love is an action. It's a, it's, a, it's a choice to conduct ourselves as Christ loves us. So first, love is alive when it has patience. It's dying when it's hurried and it's dead when it cannot wait. Love is patient, Paul says. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. He says to, to make room, to make allowances when the other person screws up, when they hurt you, when they disappoint you, when they, when they sin against you. He says to be patient, to make allowance, to make room for that person. Being patient does not come easily or naturally to most of us, right? I know that I can struggle with being impatient. You can ask my wife or my family. It doesn't come easy for most of us. But something that's helpful to me, I don't always do this, but something that's helpful for me when I struggle with being impatient is to step back and think about how patient God is with me. I mean, thank God that he is patient and long-suffering uh, uh, and we are called to exercise the same sort of patience towards other people. So the first thing we understand, biblically speaking, is that love is, is patience. It allows room for the other person when they screw up, when they make mistakes, doesn't judge, doesn't put them under performance. Secondly, love is alive when it cares, dying when it forgets, dead when it ignores. Love is kind. Paul says in the verse we used last week, be kind 
to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that it's often easier to be kinder to a stranger than it is maybe to even people that we know pretty well. Uh, It's sometimes easier to be kind to somebody else's children than it is to our own, or kinder to somebody else's spouse than it is to our own. Be kind to each other, Paul says. Forgive one another just as God has forgiven you. You know, I, I've discovered that the only way that I can have a relationship with somebody that is satisfying and, 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 and growing and mutually beneficial is to have forgiveness at the very core uh, of that relationship. And that relationship is going to grow and develop not based upon perfection or performance. It's going to blossom through the willingness of each person in that relationship to offer forgiveness and to accept forgiveness. Forgive others as you have been forgiven by God. You know, I believe that those who sometimes have a difficulty in forgiving others struggle with this biblical understanding of what God has done for them in Christ. Because the moment we understand what God has done for us in Christ, it should change our whole view uh, on forgiving other people. Thirdly, love is alive when it's secure, it's dying when it starts doubting, and dead when it stops trusting. Paul says it does not envy, does not boast, and it is not proud. You know, again, security, security, safety, acceptance is truly the key to good relationships. You show me a good relationship, whether it's a marriage or a friendship, and I will show you that the very heart of that relationship is a sense of security and acceptance. The two people feel secure enough with each other to to share their heart, to be vulnerable, to be honest, to take risk, to give the other person grace because they know the other person has their best interest at heart. Show me people in a relationship who cannot talk about the real issues and aren't able to look at each other with honesty and integrity. And I'll show you a relationship that lacks security. Juan Carlos Ortiz, who uh, is a Christian evangelist and speaker, was talking to a circus trapeze artist once about the net below him and what it did for him. And the performer said, obviously, it keeps me safe. But he said, let me tell you what that net really does for me. It makes me a better performer. Ortiz said, what do you mean it makes you a, a better performer? He said, it's very simple. Because the net is there, I feel secure. And because I feel secure, I'm willing to risk more. I'm willing to try an extra twist or turn. I'm willing to try a trick that I wouldn't try at all, but that security releases me to reach my, my true potential. And I believe that's exactly how God in, what God intends for our relationships, but especially for marriage, that there would be a sense of security and acceptance so the other person can take risk and grow and reach their potential. Next, love is alive when it's giving, dying when it begins to exchange, and dead when it is taking. Paul says love is not self-seeking. If love is anything, it's about giving. God models it better than anybody else because the Bible says he gives first for us. He, he gives us love. He gives us life. He gives us salvation. But giving first is not always easy for us, is it? It means that we're making ourselves vulnerable. What if I 
take a step in one direction and the person doesn't step towards me? What if I put myself out there and take a risk and make myself vulnerable? What if they don't respond? What if they, they hurt me back? And so many times what happens in relationships is we settle for something that's a little bit different level of relationship. Instead of a relationship of mutual giving, it ends up being basically negotiating or, or exchanging. I'll do this if you'll do that. We, we keep score and we think it's a 50-50 thing. And we make sure that the balances, the scales are balanced equally. But we lose the best things in life if we're constantly waiting for somebody else to even the score or to make up that which we began. Love is not to be that way. Love is about giving. C.S. Lewis was an incredible person, author, intellectual. Maybe he recognizes his name. He's written a lot of books. Some of his books have been made into movies. And there's a movie that's been made about his relationship with his wife called Shadowlands. They met later in life. They got married uh, there, and, and she died um, uh, of cancer. Uh, and C.S. Lewis said this about love. He said, love anything in your heart will be certainly wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. He concludes, the only place outside of heaven where you can be safe from all dangers of love is hell. Finally, love is alive when it acts its way into feeling. Dying when it feels but doesn't act or acts but doesn't feel. And dead when it no longer feels or acts. Love always protects, Paul says, always trusts, always perseveres. You know, John Maxwell, the pastor out in California, said that uh, when he used to do counseling, sometimes a couple would come in and they would say, our marriage is dead. I don't feel anything for this man. I don't feel anything for this woman. And he would say something like this. I want you to go home and act like you love your spouse. And they say, Pastor, how can I go home and act like I'm in love when I don't feel anything? And he'd tell them, allow your love to mature and allow your actions to determine and grow your feelings. He said, I want you to go back and act loving to your spouse. Say words of love to your spouse. Do acts of kindness to your spouse. Allow your actions to pave the way for love to grow and flourish. You see, in the Bible, Jesus didn't say love one another. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. There's a big difference. If we love one another as Jesus Christ loved us, let's take a look at the cross for a second. When Christ died on the cross for the world, it's not a picture of God loving people who were loving him back. Christ died for people who are rebellious and sinful, people like you and me. Christ died for people who conspired to have him crucified. Christ died for people who, who mocked him and spit on him and cursed him. They could hardly wait to see him die. But Jesus' response to them, his love towards them, I'm sure it was a choice, not a matter of feeling. When he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Christ said, love one another as I have loved you. And that means that 
we are to love people who don't always love us back the way we would want to be loved. That means that we're not allowed to let how they respond or act towards us to affect our response to them. I began by talking about our wedding day and in, in 1 Corinthians 13 being preached at, uh, at our wedding ceremony. And, and one of the reasons it really impacted me was, I, I mean, I knew John. It was a special day. It was very relevant. Uh, but one of the things he did as he preached through 1 Corinthians 13 was he said, I want you to do a kind of a love test once in a while. Do something to kind of check the love of your relationship. And, and this is something I think I mentioned here before. But the thing you have us do is he said, I, I want you to personalize it. When, when Paul talks about love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, so on and so forth, he said once in a while, just to check and see how you're doing, substitute your name, personalize it, personalize it, put your name in place and see perhaps how God may convict or challenge or affirm or, or shape you through that experience. So I want to conclude by, by doing that. I'll insert my name, but also just insert some random names and, and I want to encourage you to, to think about the nature of your love towards your spouse, towards your kids, to your co-workers, friends, family, and strangers. Doug is patient. Doug is kind. John does not envy, does not boast, is not proud. Jane is not rude, is not selfing, is self-seeking. Tom is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Susan does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jack always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, and we thank you for these words uh, recorded of the Apostle Paul. Father, I pray that you would help us to be people uh, increasingly who love uh, the way that we're, we're called to love, to be patient and kind to not be self-seeking, to not keep a record of wrongs, to trust, to persevere, to believe the best, to bring out the best in each other. Father, I pray especially for um, our marriages. I pray, Father, that um, they would grow and flourish uh, in love for each other, uh, rooted in in a, a love that comes from you. I pray, Lord, for each of us when we maybe don't always feel the love, that we would remember that that Christ demonstrated his love by making a choice, a choice he did not want to make, but he made it anyway to, to demonstrate his love by dying on a cross and, uh, and living for us. And so, Father, help us to be people whose love is not just with words or with tongue, but that our loves would be expressed with actions and with deeds, with kindness and patience, acceptance and forgiveness. We offer ourselves to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Would you see? Sit with me.